this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this is the start of season 14. 14 seasons. This is the first episode. Lucky 14. Lucky 14. And it makes sense that the voice of the show that you hear every week is back. You know her as, what are your jingles, Katie? History of the band. There you go. (laughs) She also does the intro, outro. Uh, She's been on. Yes, there we go. And she's been on some episodes in the past. You were on our um, concerts of the 90s. Mm-hmm. You were on our Chibo Mato episode. Yeah, you you bring me in for the ladies. For the Not lady always. Artists. You were here for the Lilith Fair episode. Lady artists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tori Amos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not proving your point here, Tim. Disappearing. I somehow give you credibility. I can't imagine why. Um, were you a part of our disappearing acts episode? I don't think so. Well, there were listed. probably men involved. You didn't need me. <laughs> That's so not true. That's so not true. Jay, how are you feeling? Are you sniffling over there? I am. Um, sorry, I'm a little under the weather. Oh, oh. Good. how was your you travel? Know. It's allergy season down here, and, and then that kind of turns the corner into all kinds of other fun stuff. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of that. So Jay I'm is so kicking sorry. off the new year with illness. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so password is illness. So even though this is the beginning of our 14th season, this is actually an episode from a poll during December of our 13th season. It's our monthly tournament album review tournament where 18 albums entered and only one album remained voted on by our patrons you have to be a patron at patreon to vote you can go to those links that i mentioned at the beginning of the episode to do that here are the albums that were in the poll round one you had by divine right bless this mess Head Swim, Despite Yourself, Chapter House, Whirlpool, Turkish Delight, Tommy Bell, Ultra Horse, The Pleasure and Pain of an Automobile, Sister of Mercy, Sisters of Mercy, Vision Thing, Last Crack, Burning Time, Ben Folds 5, Self-Titled, and mm-hmm. Lava Diva, Self-Titled. From that group, the winners were Ben Folds five and (laughs) sisters of mercy so that's an interesting pairing coming out of the first round on to the second round we had centromatic redo the stacks house of love babe rainbow talk talks laughing stock 
Iggy Pops, Brick by Brick, Drop 19's <laughs> Delaware, Solar Twins, Self-Titled, So Salah, 1993, The Beta Band, The Three EPs, oh. and Orange Rangatang, Dead Sailor Acid Blues. From that round, the two winners, Talk Talk's Laughing Stock and Drop 19's Delaware, which means, excuse me. Huh, don't, not Beta Band, huh? No, unlike wow. High Fidelity, it did not push any units. <laughs> we did not We did not sell three copies of the... Right? Yeah. Three I feel piece. like we could have had we sold it correctly. So our final, Ben Folds 5, Sisters of Mercy, Drop 19s, Talk Talk. This is how it shook down, or shook out. <laughs> shook down. Uh, third place, Talk Talk's Laughing Stock. Sorry, fourth place, Talk Talk's Laughing Stock. Third place, Drop 19's Delaware. Second place, Vision Thing by Sisters of Mercy. And the winner with 35% of the vote, Ben Folds 5, self-titled. How about that? How about that? That was a good, that was a very strong final four. There was, it's like all bands that you know the names, but not necessarily are, you know, maybe you know the whole catalog, maybe you know a few songs, that sort of thing. There was a lot of discussion, a lot of back and forth about this one. And Ben Folds 5 pulled it out. So let me ask you two, what's your history with Ben Folds? Katie, you're our guest. I'm going to ask you first. When did you discover them? Uh, high school. So mid to late nineties, pretty early on. Okay. Yeah. Did you buy a CD right away or was it just a radio thing? I think it was probably part of like a, a Columbia house. Got it. 12 pack. One of my aliases. Now we're doing the <laughs> self-titled record. Yeah. One of your aliases. Exactly. <laughs> candy, candy Terraro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you buy Whatever and Ever Amen first or the Reinhold Messer uh, album? I did get Whatever and Ever Amen first and okay. then went back maybe even via like Napster or some sort of shady whatever. Wire, something like to that. To get the yeah. rest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Jay, uh, yes. I know you're familiar with Ben Folds 5. Yep. Do you own any Ben Folds 5's albums? I do not. When did you first uh, hear of the band? Uh, I think if memory serves, it would have been this record. I'm pretty sure that WMS in Cleveland played mm -hmm. this they quite a bit. They were playing underground for sure. Yeah. And I think it might have been even an album track that they were playing. All right. They used to do like live shows sometimes too. And I think maybe they had done one of their live shows like on a Sunday night or something. And I heard it. So it really stood out to me. They just the they format might have of the played band. Jackson Cannery. Or yeah, Underground. That, underground was the other single. That, Jackson that, Cannery. Well, no, I mean, everybody knows familiar. Underground, right? But... So I didn't get into the band until whatever and ever. Amen. I was not. I might have heard of the band before that, but I didn't check them out. Uh, it was whatever and ever amen, um, probably because of Brick. And then I went, oh, that's interesting. And then went and investigated the other singles. And then I was really interested, or not really interested, but when I heard um, 
song for the dumped i was like oh this is a fun so band bad. uh and then i heard like battle for who could care less and mm -hmm. um one angry dwarf and 200 mm -hmm. solemn faces so i was like oh i appreciate this there's like a, a humor a wit to this and then i remember when um the final album of the 90s came out the unauthorized uh biography of reinhold messner and i remember when army that single dropped because mm -hmm. that was a that was a fun song and then i i, I know that at that point they broke up ben folds went on to do solo stuff and then they got back together for one more record but we'll get into that um in just a moment i want to read some comments though from our patreon page so i did put this up for a vote and we will get to the poll results results at the end of this episode but <clears throat> here's what people said this was the poll is going to let's put it this way the poll is going to reflect the divisiveness of this band because you have people who said uh stuff like phil hampton this is in my all-time top five i gave up piano at 16 so i can't identify the complexities uh but i love seeing them play live dan goodspeed wrote a, a massive paragraph <laughs> um uh about this and i'll try to cut through some of it but he said if anyone stopped me on the street and asked me what i thought uh, the best album ever created was this would be my answer as a rock pianist wow. having grown up on billy joel the musicianship cool. craftsmanship and songwriting on this album blew me away ben folds a drummer turned pianist who had the piano who plays the piano like drums leads the band who is super talented uh, like a super talented jazz trio who decided to play sophisticated mm -hmm. punk rock while keeping their guitarless instrumentation but even that description is pigeonholing. The creative lyrics tell stories about the life and people of Fold's hometown of Chapel Hill. It's a rock album that quotes Gershwin, a rock album with classical waltz about Miami, Muhammad Ali's conversation with Howard Cosell. Uh, there's jazz on it. There's jazz patterns um, commonly throughout, regularly changing chords or a beat, a half early. Some jazz is more subtle. Um Overall, the complexity has some catchy melodies like the vocal melodies and the verses in the last polka or the octave piano melodic interludes in sports and wine. They pretty much mm -hmm. just hang out on the three and the five and five, whatever chord they're over. And it just turns into a super hooky fill. And finally, as a piano player, I can't speak to Ben Fold's prowess on the piano enough. I'm someone who can play Billy Joel's scenes from Italian restaurant in my sleep. But this album proved challenging and exciting to learn. I've probably seen Ben Folds with the band solo about 20 times now. Always a great show. Um, at the re most recent show a few months ago, I told him about this podcast and how the album was in the running for review. He said something like, I hope they like it better than the critics did at the time. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. That Thank you, Dan, really for cool. telling them, uh, telling Ben about uh, this. Now on the flip side, cabbage our our page, new patron cabbage said after bare naked ladies this is my most despised band <laughs> ian mciver said and this was after he said he wasn't going to dole out any decent singles he said i fold decent single merry christmas everyone <laughs> that was fast <laughs> that was so fast now now there's stuff in the middle like uh richard waterman said probably just a better ep for me the next two benfold five albums are better than this in my opinion i would say rock in the suburbs 
and Super Sunny are both better than this album too. I know they are strictly solo, but yeah, Merry Christmas, DMO. By the way, this went up during Christmas. Um, Willie Dillon said, my 12th grade English teacher and high school tennis coach was Uncle Walter in the music video. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Uh, Shout out Uncle Walter. Jeff Gentis said, trying to figure out if popular not a surf equals underground Ben Folds 5. It's all fine, mostly inoffensive. I did the Velocity Girl thing, but instead of focusing on the weak drumming here, I got caught up on the basic bass playing. Happy to be told I'm wrong. I don't appreciate the nuance. Doesn't really matter since the band's not named after the bassist after all. <laughs> okay. Interesting. We'll talk about the bass playing mm. um, on this record. <laughs> uh, a little bit of history so people are aware. They, they formed in 1993 in Chapel Hill. Ben mm-hmm. Folds on vocals and piano, Robert Sledge on bass and backing vocals, Darren Jesse on drums and backing vocals. Uh, they were signed to Passenger Records, which was a, sub- a very small subsidiary of Caroline Records, along with another band that they were friends with from Chapel Hill. And Passenger was set up to be like the triple A alter- adult alternative label under Caroline. And because Ben Folds sort of didn't follow that format and got successful, the other band that went with them ended up getting dropped because they didn't weren't as successful. So they kind of felt bad because they ended up getting their friend's band dropped from the same label because they were more successful than them. Um, The album, uh, this first album was produced by uh, Caleb Southern. He actually produced all three of their 90s albums and was considered the fourth member of the band. He passed away earlier this year. Oh. Um, but he 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 didn't work on a lot of records. He worked on Icky Metal by Arches of Loaf. Um, hmm. And those are the, basically those are the four big records that he worked on. Um, they, as mentioned, broke up in 2000. They did a reunion in 2008. And then got to back, back together in 2011 to release a record in 2012 called The Sound of the Life in the Mind, of the Mind. And then they broke up again. Ben Folds has been very busy as a solo artist. Um, he's also, what, what was he on? What show was he on on NBC for a while? The Sing Off. The Sing Off, that's right. Yeah, it was like a huge launching of acapella music. So the thing that I didn't know about Ben Folds is that he's a little bit older and he had actually been mm-hmm. a, he, so he started playing piano at the age of nine. His dad was a carpenter and he traded work for a piano so he could get his son a piano because the guy couldn't pay him for the work. So he just gave him the piano and that's how Ben Folds ended up playing. He didn't take lessons. He just started listening to the music and playing along, but then he ended up going to school to college on a drum scholarship Um and he ended up failing his jury test and didn't continue. Ugh, juries are the worst. And um, so he became a sessions drummer. Like, and he mm-hmm. bounced around between New York City and Nashville playing sessions drums. Uh, and he was in in the late 80s, early 90s. He formed a band, like a duo with another guy. And um, some of the songs on this record are from that duo. Like they just played like, fraternities in chapel hill and stuff they didn't really tour much or anything um so he met uh sledge and and jesse and they formed this band took some of the old songs that they didn't use or you know that didn't end up doing anything with the previous Mm -hmm. band 
Um, and then after the band broke up, he put out a couple of solo records, Rock in the Suburbs in 2001, Songs for Silverman in 2005, Way to Normal in 2008. He did a collaboration album with Nick Hornby in 2010 called Lonely Avenue. Mm-hmm. He did uh, an album with William Shatner. He did a band, a, a band with the with Ben Lee and Ben Queller called The Bens. The Bens. He's done soundtracks for soundtrack songs for Hoodwinked and Over the Hedge. Over the Hedge also features Paul Westerberg. Uh, if you're looking for a weird, <laughs> weird place to find Ben Folds <laughs> and Paul Westerberg. Paul Westerberg is in several cartoon-ish. He's got a lot of soundtrack situations. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's toured, and this is the thing that Katie and I have seen them do. Um, he's toured around playing with orchestras. Mm-hmm. Katie, can you set up basically what the deal is when he does this? You know, it's like a symphony for the common person, right? Like you go to your state theater, a gorgeous historic venue, and a full orchestra plays along with him. It's pretty fantastic. There's a lot of um, crowd participation. There's like he teaches harmonies and the crowd has to sing along. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so when we saw him in 2016 playing with the Columbus Symphony Orchestra, he got the orchestra to jam with him. Mm-hmm. They wrote a song based on prompts from the audience. Mm-hmm. And then they got the they div- he divided the audience into four sections and did a four-part harmony with the audience, like taught them the, each of the harmony sections. So it's actually really entertaining because you're participating in this symphony mm-hmm. event, which you would obviously, if you went to see like, you know, then perform Gershwin, you're not going to per- participate in the, in a well, performance. I, you know, I was uh, just looking because most of your listeners probably aren't connected to opera talk as in TikTok for opera. Um, I was just listening today to someone speak to the idea that most people who go and see um classical music or opera they go one time and they don't come back and it's and she was speaking to the concept of um access versus belonging right just because you have access to it doesn't mean you feel comfortable in the clothes or that you want to sit through it we just went to the Mm -hmm. nutcracker i don't know that it makes tim want to go to the nutcracker again right so like you've gone through this experience of this like classical high-end experience does it make you feel like you actually belong there right like do you see yourself in that space and the thing that's so cool about Ben Folds is that I think what he did with those tours was give access and belonging together like the idea that we had a place in that space because he allowed us to be part of the the process and brought us into the fold and showed us how some of that collaboration happened it makes you want to go back yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about the record. Let's we talked around it. Let's talk about it. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about the self-titled album by Ben Folds Five. Well, I love when we get to listen to a record that has a different format. And I think the the thing that makes it special is is when the format is also like performed. So this is a three piece. There's no guitars. It's not often that we get to review records that don't have guitars on them. If, if, if ever. Uh, <laughs> and what that does, I think those constraints of like, okay, we're going to be three piece. 
it sounds mostly live. Like I don't hear a lot of overdubs. So it sounds like a lot of like perf in the moment live performance. Uh, and it's these, you know, these three individuals having to figure out like, okay, how do we fill the space with, you know, a couple of voices, a piano, a bass and drums. And I think that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities that is a lot of fun to listen to. One of the things that popped for me from that was, was the bass playing. That was the first thing when I heard this band on the radio, it wasn't, it actually wasn't the piano. I mean, yes, I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. It's piano song. It was the fact that the bass came so forward in the, in the song, the fact that he was using fuzz on the bass, which gave it this edge and kind of, especially I think it might've been a live recording that they were playing. You just, it had this energy. Um, I think somebody mentioned like this punk attitude to it. I wouldn't necessarily say this band is punk in any way, but like it just had this like edge and energy to it that was very unique. And I just enjoy as I'm, you know, listening to this record, you get to hear sort of every part of the, you know, three piece have its moment. It's not all just about piano, which I think is really important um, because, a, you know, a piano in this format can be overbearing. Like it can start to play everything and you sort of don't have space for anything else. But I think they do a good job of like letting the piano sometimes float on top and letting the bass drive, which I think works really well. Um, a good example of that is Best Imitation of Myself, which... Mm -hmm. It starts off with this almost Springsteen style piano thing, but then the drums and the bass come in and it's just driving throughout. That's a song that, you know, you could play on guitar probably and it would sound like a power pop song. Um, but I think they do a really interesting interpretation, you know, not having guitar and then allowing the bass to really drive it and the piano can kind of float over top. I think it's a good example of like, you know, how this format kind of creates some special stuff going on. I got the gesture and sounds, got the timing down. It's uncanny, yeah, you think it was me. Do you think I should take a class to lose my southern accent? Did I make me up or make a face that is stuck? I do the best imitation of myself. It also allows the vocals, particularly the, the background vocals, to play a super important role. They're not just like added layers. They're they are an instrument. You know, there's some choruses here where they bring in a harmony and it sounds like you inter I interpret it as another instrument playing, you know, not just like, uh -huh. oh, we layer some vocals in. It's like adding strings or adding a guitar part. So like everything you do when you're that constrained. Um, is super important, and you can tell that they, you know, spend a ton of time in these songs, performing them, figuring out their parts. Um, and and I just enjoy listening to that. I think it's unique in that way. That my my experience with piano music, which I love, is usually more like produced. It's prettier or more dramatic. It's layered. 
it's not an instrument that I think of all time as being like high energy, raucous, vibrant, bouncing. Like it's usually in the format that I hear it, it's more like pretty or dark and it's presented in a way that's more layered and produced. Whereas this just sounds like three guys on a stage just playing their asses off, which I think is really cool. Um, so that's, that's what worked for me. You know, I think there's some songs on here too, that are really strong. Like I said, that, you know, some of the uptempo things on here are, I mean, they're just, they could be super grass songs, you know, they could be, um, Weezer songs. Like they're in that sort of vein, but because they're presented as in this format with, with, with the, uh, with the piano, with also this really, you know, active bass and drums, it's, you know, unique in that way. So that's, that's what worked for me. What worked for you, Tim? Well, it's interesting. Cause I had to like, think back to how I reacted to this band when I first heard them. And even though I grew up listening to Billy Joel and was a, still am, I mean, but I kind of went through a lull in the nineties of not really Billy Joel wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> right. I, I don't know if he was ever cool, but it, you definitely were like, if you were listening to Billy Joel in the nineties, you were a big dork. Um, even though I bought river of dreams the day it came out. So I wasn't really like fully accepting of piano rock, even though I grew up on that. I grew up listening to like Elton John's greatest hits on cassette and that kind of stuff. Now that I have gotten past all of that and I can hear what is actually going on in these songs instead of just hearing the plunking of the piano, I totally understand what what Dan was saying about the performance on this record. Um, the piano playing is astounding. It's so melodic and so diverse in the way that I think of like the seventies, Billy Joel before things got super produced before he started writing, you know, massive singles for specifically to write singles. But like when he was in his more singer songwriter phase in the seventies, where he would do stuff that had like, you know, jazzy and bluesy influences on one song. And then there's like barrel house piano sound on another one. Um, you get like a song like philosophy, which has a very Billy Joel kind of melody or, or, or thing that he's doing in there. And then it, towards the end of the song, I mentioned Gershwin he, earlier, he throws in a bit of Gershwin's Rhapsody in blue at the end of that song, which mm -hmm. I didn't realize until I nice. read about it and then went back and listened to it. And, I, and then I a beat it with Gershwin's Rhapsody in blue. And I was like, Oh look yeah! At you. I know. Look at me looking, looking up Rhapsody look in Blue. At you. Now, I, I, I teach like, that to my kids. When I heard it, I was like, "Oh, of course I know this song." Like, I don't know that it's Rhapsody in Blue. I just know I've heard it. And then mm -hmm. when I hear that little chunk towards the end of the song of him doing that, it's like, "Oh, that's really fun." Like that to me is fun in a way that's not like drawing attention to itself because it's only like one little measure. Mm -hmm. But it's it's in the way that like bands and artists will throw a tiny little nod to like an influence or what have you without drawing too much attention to it um i thought what you said jay about the springsteen element like it does have like again like 70 springsteen with those big piano intros and you know and then he takes it in a completely different direction he ben folds described this album as punk rock for sissies which i think is funny because it is in its attitude 
a kind of an indie punk rock. I don't know, punk rock's a little strong, but it does have this like sneer to it in in a, in a way that is mm-hmm. it's fun and it's edgy, and you know he's covering a lot of um, subject matter ground, which a lot of it is him. It's it's people he knows. The people that are mentioned are people that are in his life and the things that he's talking about are are the reason why he wrote the song boxing is because his dad was a huge boxing fan and a huge Muhammad Ali fan. So he wrote a song about Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell and their infamous um, conversation on TV, but then sort of warped that into him uh, singing for his dad. And I just really appreciate his ability, even though I, I understand that he wasn't really a new songwriter like he had already been writing songs he had already been essentially a professional musician so he understood all that but he's so good at coming up with little lines little things that just they don't even have to be the hook of the song but they're just the thing that you you remember like there's the line in the best imitation of myself where he says i'm going to take classes to lose my southern accent and i'm just that just like sticks with me i don't know why but i just i like that little nugget of a line um now it's well i won't get into that but but, uh because i gonna say something in comparison to the next record but i i really appreciate also that this is a pretty tight album in terms of most of the song there's not a single song over five minutes um there's not a lot of wasted space or time on the records um and i can just listen now that i kind of have developed a greater appreciation for piano playing um, from listening to not just piano rock, but, you know, listening to classical music, listening to jazz to hear everything that he's doing and knowing that he's not classically trained, that he's basically self-taught. And, you know, that to me is astounding the, what he's doing and how physically he's playing and how much of the keyboard he's covering. Um, That said, what Robert Sledge does on bass, like you said, Jay, is super cool. He is carrying the counter melody in a lot of songs. He's providing the grit almost throughout the entire record. It is absolutely necessary. Like this is a very well balanced power trio. Essentially, this is this is um, this is if Billy Joel had fronted Rush. It's a- <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some prog elements on here too. Yeah, like mm-hmm. the changes in bits and parts that I'm like, oh, that sounds like Kansas, or you know, <laughs> uh, like '70s prog for a moment. And, and Billy Joel had those leanings too in the '70s. Like, right? He had some weird stuff. songs and pieces and parts. Yeah. Well, the, the name it's of the almost ca- like the the bass, uh, the fuzz on the bass is almost an instrument in itself too, or a yes. character. Mm-hmm. You know, he really uses it well to give a little feedback or do a little run or some kind of like little pull off or accent. It, it was a really smart decision. I did go back and I, I wanted to look at some reviews from the time period. Like I read the Rolling Stone review from 1995 or whatever what year it was or 90, 96, 95, 96, somewhere in there. Uh, and they often pointed out the Todd Rundgren influence on this record which I I don't know a lot of Todd Rundgren. I know like, you know, a lot of the singles and whatnot. Right. Um, 
I know he has written a lot of quirky pop songs, but I I did not expect it to come up in like nearly every. So maybe Ben Folds has uh, brought that up, but I did not. Yeah, pick up. I don't, on I don't know Run Run well enough to be able to to say. I know a song here or two, but that would not have been a reference for me. Okay. Katie, what works for you on this record? Um, his storytelling, I think, is really excellent. I mean, I don't know those specific characters. At the time, I didn't know if they were real people or people that were just part of the story he had come up with. But any mid-sized town has those kinds of characters. And so, again, I, you know, I just kind of stick to that idea of, like, there's just a sense of belonging when you listen to it at least it was for me like it just hit me right in the sweet spot when I was a teenager that like you know he had some of the same stories that I did and was going through some of the same things that I was and he didn't seem cooler than me so there was that like really good I don't know connection but uh you know speaking to the punk aspect too jay you mentioned this like i think he is punk rock in the same way that vivaldi is like he is really smart and filling in his music in a really complex um jazz and blues heavy style but it's still centered around one four and five so you know in the same way that this the four seasons is primarily one four and five so i mean Vivaldi could be the first punk rocker and Ben Folds continues that tradition of like complex music but when you really analyze it it's very rooted in something that the average person can latch on to which I think is really brilliant I think I mean I really think he understands music on a on a pretty intrinsic level um and I can understand it being off-putting to some, but it just it just hit me right. I just thought it was like someone was singing to me, you know, like I was I was in. Uh, speaking of the where the songs come from, uh, Summer B is actually a person named Summer Burke, who is a friend of the drummer, uh, Darren Jesse, and um, she designed the the Ben Folds like logo, like that hand-drawn like Ben Folds 5 font and and the piano logo um there's a that's her and then um Alice Childress is actually the name of a playwright but the lyrics were originally written by Anna Goldman who was Ben Folds wife at the time and she was writing a parody of what Ben Fold's song sounded like because, you know, she had been listening to them over and he was like, that's pretty good. And then he like took her lyrics and sort of rewrote them to fit them into the cadence of a song. Um, so she has a writing credit on that song. Uh, and then. Uh, Uncle Walter is actually based on a woman who um, was the mom of someone that uh, he was in a garage band with when he was a teenager. And um, so I guess they changed it from a male or female to a male in order to not incriminate whoever that was. Huh. <laughs> he said, um, 
she died because she was washing her hair in the bathtub and the bathtub was filling up and she hit her head in the faucet and she passed out in the tub and drowned. Oh, yeah. But I guess dark. she was she was um an alcoholic. Yeah. So. so yeah. So yeah. Uh Jay, what doesn't work for you on this record? Well, I think when the band slows down, the tempo drops, things get quieter. I lose interest, the energy drops. It becomes more about his lead vocal, which think it's good but i think it helped it's helped a lot by the you know when the band is louder and more active and there's lots of harmonies i just don't find it compelling that compelling on its own i also found some of the melodies and hooks just weren't as strong in some of the slower stuff um so that's where i fade on the record you know it's almost a story of two different records for me you know when it's when it's high energy uh, so I'm going to say like Jackson Cannery, Philosophy, Julianne, where Summer B, Underground, you know, those songs are, you know, start off pretty solid. And then I think you get into a bit of a lull where things start to either genre hop and or just slow down and I fade a bit. Um, so I, I think I'm just connecting more with, it. I guess, the the higher energy sort of more punk spirit uh, stuff on here and, and less with the, you know, ballad. I think it, it also like when it gets too soft, then the piano starts to take on a different character too. Then it starts to become like, instead of this balance of like this unconventional, you know, bouncy piano and gritty bass and these super active drums now all of a sudden it's just starting to feel like, oh, this is a, you know, a Billy Joel ballad, mm-hmm. like a average sounding piano song. So that, that's what didn't work for me. Anything that worked for you, Tom? Yeah, I agree with you. I think like a song like video is a tad on the less interesting sign side. Um, it's in this like waltz uh, style. And I've heard, you know, like you said, like I've heard Billy Joel do that and I've heard him do really interesting things with that. And mm-hmm. the song doesn't have as much movement or changes as some of the other songs. And I think that lack of dynamics is probably what makes a song like that not as interesting. Yeah, that's gone. Turn around. Turn the Um, I like it when it sounds like, you know, he's standing at the piano and just like pounding the pounding on it. And, and which makes me wonder, like when they were first starting out, like, how did they play gigs? Was he dragging a piano around to, to shows or 
was it, I'm sure it was an upright. I can't imagine he's bringing a grand piano into clubs in Chapel Hill, but maybe they have a piano there and he used the one that was in the house. But I, I can't see him playing like a, a Roland keyboard that would just fall down from the energy that he's displaying. And But for the most part, my I mean, this is a big shift for me because I don't think I would have dug this back in 95. But now, overall, I'm much more open to this and find it much more interesting. But I do agree with you that some of the some of the slower moments don't uh, they don't last uh, or don't stick with me as well as as the up tempo, punkier, more energetic stuff. Katie, is there anything on the record that doesn't work for you? Um, I would agree with what both of you have said. I think, you know, looking to their later work, a song like Brick or a song like The Luckiest, they both have much busier piano and instrumental parts amidst a ballad. And so I think they just hadn't found the right balance of like tempo versus energy. Like that mm -hmm. juxtaposition wasn't there yet. So some of the slower tempo songs just fall flatter because they just hadn't found their voice yet. So I don't know that they're bad songs. I think they just weren't developed the way that some of those later songs, those later ballads were. I agree with you. I, yeah. The, the simplicity of brick, I think is what makes it just a strong ballad and why it was such a big hit single. Uh, but you've got up... a busy piano part in the right hand, like that bump, 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 bump. I mean, it's moving the whole time. Right. And it, I mean, it went to, let's see, what was the chart position here? Made it to number 19 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 11 on the Billboard Adopt, Adult Top 40, number six on U.S. Alternative Airplay, number 17 on the Billboard Top 40 Mainstream. Um, the video was all over the place. Well, I, I feel like it was like a weird moment for abortion songs, right? Like, <laughs> was the lightning crashes big at the same time? No, that was a year or two <laughs> earlier because this was this but album I mean, was just, but was released until ninety seven. Releasing like it just seemed like just kind of a weird niche moment for. <laughs> Am I wrong? Tell lightning crashes was ninety four. Also, from, that's not a song about abortion. That's a song about someone who dies on the operating table after an accident, and then when they're when they die, a baby is born. Thank you that for has, explaining it to me. That doesn't. Well, you said it was an abortion. I'm so glad song. you were here to explain it for me. Well, Look, we just hear the placenta on the floor part. The placenta falls That's on all the we floor. remember. Right. That's all we need to know. Okay. There's like a bloody tray or something in the video. I will say, I was going to mention this earlier. I do feel like there isn't a standout single on this record. Underground doesn't stand out to you? Not in the way that on Whatever and Ever Amen, those singles do. Even you know, uh, Song for the Dumped, which I mentioned, which was not a single because of the language in it. But I feel mm -hmm. like they have a more compact songwriting structure. Mm -hmm. they, they have a more... I don't know how to describe it, but it's not that he tones down the piano. It's that his flourishes are a little less flowery, a little less Billy Joel, a little bit more 
I don't know, more straight, more straightforward. I, I don't know how to describe it because I don't understand. Intentional. Yeah, I guess, you know, um, there is no Gershwin drops as far as I know on those records. So. I don't think it was bad when he did though. No, I don't, I don't think it was necessarily bad, but I'm just saying I, that when I listened to them um, in comparison, there was still songs. Like if I was picking the five best songs of the five best songs of that, I don't think any of the songs from this record would top those five songs. Not that any of them are bad. I would just go with those five songs on whatever mm. and ever. I disagree. Philosophy was on many of my mixtapes. Many. Okay. Well, I do want to point out on underground. It's the one song on the record where I'm pretty sure where they, they, uh, do the single trick where they play the chorus early on they do a little little uh, fake chorus at the beginning mm -hmm. of that song mm -hmm. I was never cool in school I'm sure you don't remember me and now it's been 10 years I'm still wondering who to be and I'd love to mix in circles clicks and social code Hand me my nose ring. Can we be happy? Show me the mosh pit. Can we be happy? We can be happy underground. They were, they were starting to tap into like how to write a hit song for the radio. The Aerosmith the chorus, trick. Yeah. yeah. They were figuring it out. Exactly. As I mentioned, this was divisive when it came out, uh, as, as Ben Folds mentioned. So some places like, um, like the Chicago Tribune gave it a three out of three, three and a half out of four. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it a B plus. Rolling Stone only gave it three out of five, which... Hmm. You know, considering some of the crap they've given four and five out of fives to, that seems kind of low. Um, and there must have been some other places where they got. Because most of the, you know, what the problem is, is that now a lot of the reviews have been retroactively changed. So it's hard to find the actual reviews that came out at the time. Because like the all music review is like a, a new review. I don't know that the actual review that came out in 1996, or 95 is actually... Uh, available pitchfork of all places in their archive which you have to go into the wayback machine to find <laughs> 9.6 out of 10 i was floored huh. that original pitchfork gave this 9.6 out of 10 they would never do that now no if this came they'd if to, it, they'd have to shit on it now no they would or or in the early 2000s <laughs> i can't imagine because to me putting myself back in 95 i'm kind of surprised that at least his impression, Ben Fold's impression, was it wasn't reviewed well. I, I would think critics would have loved this in 95. It was just so, like, different and, I don't know, groundbreaking in a way. There was just and it's still musical like and the it. lyrics are good. And... Yeah. I think that that being so different can also work against you. Yeah. Like, you mentioned that there's the spirit of a band like Weezer. There's a spirit of power pop. 
but Weezer is much easier to explain. Yeah. You know, it's two guitars, drum, bass, vocal, catchy songs produced by Rico Kasich. You got a, a catchy single in Buddy Holly. But you immediately yeah. knew when it was a Benfold song. Right. But think about, you know, the dudes who that Nirvana didn't want as their fans, the knucklehead, you know, frat guys who were into Nirvana and then moved on to like Bush and Live. They were not going to sit down and listen to Ben Folds tinkle at the or twinkle the piano keys. Like, you know what I mean? That you that... can try to explain it to me, but I'm telling you, I lived through it. Like, there was a whole group of people who were sure. moved by it. Obviously, it was successful because they bumped up from Passenger to Caroline um, for, uh, I think, not the not not the um, next record because next record. They ended up doing on Epic 550. So they must have, like, I don't know if they distributed through them or whatnot, because it was still a Caroline release. I don't know how Caroline is connected to Epic and 550. I'd have to look that up. But I, don't know. I-, I could see, you know, male album or album reviewers from the mid 90s who were into like Guided by Voices and. Mm-hmm pavement would not be into this oh yeah you know what i mean because like, it's well produced it, and it's also tapping into like you mentioned too tim like you know at this time billy joel isn't the coolest artist in the world elton john is not the coolest artist in the world i mean no. it's tapping into references that now i think is are really cool and i think we can all like almost have a little bit of a you know nostalgia for but in the 95 like nobody wanted to hear those artists being like called back to sure or, right yeah, Elton John went from at, from critics critical standpoint, like right. stodgy critics. At that point, mm-hmm. Elton John is candle in the wind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's he's yeah. a ballad dude and and right. a bigger, larger than life character, rather than being you know the singer songwriter of the seventies. So even a, e, even E Street Band era Springsteen like was not cool in ninety five. No. Like he was not with the E Street Band, not doing that type of music. Like anything that smelled like that was the opposite of cool right so let's see how this shakes out on our worthy album better ep decent single scale our first of 2014 jay where do you land i'm landing at an ep i've got jackson cannery philosophy julianne where's summer b underground and best imitation myself so it's really, you know, the first half of the record and then one track on the second half that I think to me work really well, really creative, um, a lot of fun, love the performances. Mm-hmm. Where'd you land, Tim? Um, I'm at a worthy album. I would just dump Alice Childress, Sports and Wine, um, Video. I would dump those three songs and I would keep nine. I, 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 I overall like the record. I like listening to it, but yeah, the slow stuff doesn't necessarily work for me. And I don't like the rhythm of sports and wine. It has this like do, 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 do kind of like thing going on that I <laughs> don't really, don't really like. So I would, I would kick that one uh, off, but I do really like underground. I think that's in the, in the like pantheon of fun, taking the piss out of of cool people you know songs 
he's like I, I think he's there's like something about like uh get me a nose ring point me to the mosh pit like yeah. kind of thing <laughs> so i i did appreciate the humor and i i also i think i don't think i could appreciate humor and, and not jokes but just like like i said like a sneering sort of snarky attitude back then back then i would thought that was very uncool yep yes and now i'm much more chill with it yeah music was very serious in 95 yes it was it was <laughs> took itself way falling too seriously. on the floor or, or placentas <laughs> falling on the floor and and uh you ought to know you know what i mean like I, it was it was in your face loud and angry or tori amos who was also playing the piano but was very very serious yes katie where do you land i mean i'm with jay but i also can't walk away from underground or Alice Childress. So I think I have to go for the album. Okay. That's fair. There are a couple songs that I mean just don't hit with me. Video, I agree. Yeah. Um, but I love Alice Childress mostly because I've heard it live and it's so good. And you've seen Ben both as a solo artist and with orchestras multiple times, right? Correct. Yeah, I think I've seen him four or five times. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's so he, just, it's an experience. Has this lineup never reunited? Uh, they did the one reunion album in 2012. And then as far as I know, that's been it. Um, it okay. looks like they did actually get together this year. Uh, I think that was because of um, their former producers passing. They got together for a tribute concert in August that's cool. uh, back in their hometown. And they did some songs for him, but I don't like those guys have gone on to do other things. I think uh, Robert, like Robert Sledge went on to do um, music for like TV and film and uh, or no, that's that's Darren Jesse. He formed a band called Hotel Lights and then they mm-hmm. did some film, film and TV work. And uh, Robert Sledge has gone on to do um, a couple other bands. So, well, our patron uh, community, they voted, our Patreon community, and our patrons shook out like this. This is an interesting poll result. 46% were the album, 15% better EP, and 38% decent single. Wow. Uh, We kind of got that from the comments that this was going to be split. Here's the question though. Here's here's my real question. Is if it's a if it's a single, which single? I think that they just choose that as opposed to this album is terrible and I wouldn't want to listen to it. Got it. <laughs> Got it. There has been suggestions that we have a um a CD coaster as as the fourth option. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure if we had put that up there, it would have been selected for this. Uh, again, like I said. This is this record is going to either hit with you, or if you're not in the mind space for this type of music, you're it's it's going to sound like nails on a chalkboard. Like that piano is is doing some putting some work in, and if you're not into that, it, you know maybe it needed to be a synth. Maybe if he was playing a a, a nice no, uh, I would not have been the same. Like some some who is the synth player in uh in like uh Kansas or or. <laughs> yellow or <laughs> yes 
who's the guy from Chris Squire? Was he the keyboard player in? In I yes, so. I don't remember. John Lord. There imagine, you go. Imagine an organ. <laughs> Deep purple organ on these songs. That would have been crazy. So Patreon community split. We thank them for all their votes and for all the votes during our tournament. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it it was a close tournament. So way uh, way to end our 2023 polls. We'll be doing them again every month this year. And in case you missed it, by the way, Katie, this is a new announcement for you too. We're launching a new podcast. Of course you are. <laughs> sort of. No, not not a necessarily a new podcast. What we're doing is... The iPad is at 10%, just so you know. Okay. The uh, Dig Me Out community, uh, meaning Chip and Jay and I, mm. have decided that uh, we're going to launch Dig Me Out. Uh, take it away, Jay. Tell them the name of the podcast. 80s Metal. 80s metal you are that's great that's wonderful <laughs> so we'll be getting together with chip uh to chip discuss... and i are gonna raid our cassette collection and bring it to tim and yes i have not heard any of this stuff so i am going to be the See lamb led killer to <laughs> i can't wait fun. to check out spread eagle and uh who are some of the other ones that are in our poll jay what, what's in smash our poll gladys smash jet gladys boy. jet boy ying Ve malmstein yes uh sweet tesla. fa tesla killer dwarfs from canada killer dwarfs is it just killer dwarfs or is it killer dwarfs from canada from no it's just killer dwarfs but oh, you know, okay we, we got to make sure we represent Canada. I, I gotta we gotta find our first australian hair metal or uh Oh yeah, metal band. We, well, we, we need found to hit up. Uh, we need to hit up Gavin and Jason and all our Australian folks, Michael and, and Darren, all those people, so uh, we can get some eighties. Uh, what is it? Is Rose Tattoo Australian? They are. There you go, and they they qualify, right? Uh maybe. I think they they start in the seventies, but I'm sure they do definitely have some eighties records. Okay. And and Sounds Katie for you. Katie will be doing the new intro for that. We'll we'll uh we'll work on her um her screams and her her uh Wow There we go. <laughs> and that'll I be guess. coming to you soon. Our new uh, and that'll be exclusive to our Substack. Right, Jay? Uh we're gonna publish it on Substack, but you'll be able to get it through your well, wherever you get podcasts. Cool. But it will be its own feed. So if you're not into the 80s metal great you can stick on here and we'll keep doing what we're doing here but if you're into uh into that you can subscribe to that podcast too it'll be out every two weeks so not as frequent as this one but uh the plan is to give it a go and chip's gonna see if he can get some interviews lined up which will be fun so we'll take everything that you like about the 90s rock podcast and give it an 80s metal spin we're expanding the brand we're uh, creating a synergistic loop uh, to uh, long tail this. We're circling uh, back. We're circling back. We are. Synergy. We're doing all the things uh, necessary. Um, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, study up. I'm not prepared for this at all. This is going to be, this is my, I'm going to school essentially. <laughs> and uh, like uh, life, sex and death said, school is for fools. So. Uh, I'm a fool, apparently. 
for, for trying to do this because <laughs> we're not going to do we're not going to do the easy stuff we're not going to do like look what the cat dragged in or uh you know new jersey by bon jovi we're they're going to hit me with the hard that hard stuff <laughs> the deep cuts the deep cuts which is what we're what we're famous for is are the deep cuts that's, so right. that's where we're going <laughs> so uh swing by the podcast swing by patreon to learn more about that also to, to you can check out our discord where there's lots of discussion about this lots of excitement about this uh and a few people are like great i won't be checking that out because that's not their thing but that's okay <laughs> that's okay katie thank you for joining us uh you are a hard get uh we know you have a busy schedule and i'm glad that your people and my people were able to connect we were able to get you on the show you're able to get me on a break a work break a work break mm-hmm. uh well now that you'll be going back to school we will see you again in uh June. six months yeah six months yeah. or so when i reemerge like a butterfly from a cocoon there you go exactly uh <laughs> if you would like to suggest an album for one of the polls like the one that was on uh used in this episode to pick our record you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com and suggest an album Drop in the name of the band, name of the album, and why you're suggesting them. And we'll throw it into a poll, and then our patrons will vote on it, which you can join us by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. It's also where you can sign up for the Box Newsletter, which is at our Substack, a newsletter of new releases every week, 80s, 90s, and aughts-relevant music, podcasts, shows, albums, books, whatever and uh, apple podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for the show so for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out